0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: Man does not know the value of wisdom. Wisdom is far better than silver, gold, money, anything that you have. Man doesn't know the value of wisdom. Wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time. Wisdom is knowing what to do in each situation. And there is a value to that that can be passed on to your children. There's a financial value in your life because of wisdom. There's a spiritual value in your life because of wisdom. There's emotional, physical, all the way around.
0: James tells us if we lack wisdom, then all we need to do is ask for it. True wisdom comes from only one place, the God who created the heavens and the earth. He wants to give us wisdom that we would make right choices that are pleasing to Him. Wondering what to do about a certain situation you've got in your life right now? Get wisdom and understanding from its only true source. Please stay with us for part two of our message out of James 1, 2 through 8. Here comes Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Tucson. When you look down at verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who
1: endures temptation. The word temptation there is the same word as trials in verse 2. Blessed is the man who endures trials, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Trials, then, are the way by which we find the endurance to reveal the love of God that we have in us. Why do we go through trials according to James chapter 1? Because God is working in you that you would have endurance, that the love of God would be revealed. If you can face a trial like my wife faced and still love God, that reveals that she was deeply in love with God. It wasn't a shallow love, it wasn't a false love. It was a very real love that she had for God, that God could take everything away from her. And she, like Job, would say, Even if you kill me, I'll serve you. I'll follow you and I'll give you everything. And that's the testing of trials that we go through. God takes us through trials that we would be proven. That's what the word trials means, to prove our faith is being proved, that you show that you love God. If you're a Christian and you don't have a deep and profound love for God, then don't you wanna know that? So if you've gone through a trial and you've walked away from God, the proving of your faith, the testing of your faith was that it wasn't deep and it wasn't profound. And now you've gotta come back. You know, all of us know someone who's gone through a trial and walked away from God. If God will do that to me, then I'm not following him. If this is what God's about, then I'm not following him. And if that's been you in the past, then you need to come back now. It's, it's a revelation that your love for God wasn't enough. You need to have a new, deep, profound love for him. He goes on to say then in verse four, but let patience have its perfect work. See, God's doing a work in the endurance The testing is producing endurance and endurance is having its perfect work that you may be perfect. And again, that word means mature. God's trying to bring you to maturity. God doesn't want you to be a baby Christian. God didn't save you that he could wrap you up in a blanket and hold you safe away from the world and give you a little Christian bottle and (laughs) rock you in his arms and, and have you hide out until the end. God saved you to do a work. God saved us so that we would go out into the world and make a difference for those who are perishing. Preach the gospel to every creature, Mark tells us. I love that word it uses, creature. It means animal, it means creature. It means, you know, preach the gospel to your dog. I don't know whether it'll go to heaven or not, but it gives you a good opportunity. We have been given the call to go into all nations and to make disciples disciples and teach them and baptize them. That's the call we have. And the Bible tells us that we, like good soldiers, shouldn't be entangled in the things of this world. And some of us as Christians, we have this great call, but we're entangled in the things of the world, so much so that we're not doing the work that we're supposed to do. The Bible says that when someone's competing, they train in such a way to win. Are you training to win? Knowing that God's called you to stand as light, as salt? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And he said, if salt loses its savoriness, it is good for nothing but to be tossed into the street and trampled underfoot. If you guys aren't shining for Jesus, if you aren't making a difference for him, then you may be living your life, but your life is pretty much just worth being thrown out into the street and trampled underfoot. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't count for anything. We want to have that savoriness, that saltiness for Christ. We wanna make sure that our lives matter in the midst of this. And so God wants to bring you to maturity. And so if you're out there and you're kinda messing around with the things of the world, you're messing around with this, you're messing around with alcohol and you're messing around with sex and you're just doing these things and you're not really serious, God is saying, look, I need to bring you to maturity because lives are in the balance because people are perishing and he's called us to make a difference. And I believe that a life, a serious life lived for him makes a radical difference for Jesus. And, and you think God doesn't really wanna use me. You think I, God can't use me. I'm not a preacher, but you're supposed to live out loud. When you live for Christ, there's something happening in the spiritual realm. You have the glory of God in you. You've got the Holy Spirit that gushes out of you and you make a difference everywhere that you go. And opportunities will open up if you are living your life for Jesus and your life will be used for him. So he says he wants you to be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. When you go through trials and you endure, you find yourself lacking in nothing. There's nothing that this world has that you need. When I talk about well-being, I, I'm always afraid to talk about our, our well-being. What is it, how can we be the healthiest people we can be? Because when I start talking about that, I feel like I'm turning into a motivational speaker. I've already got the microphone for a motivational speaker. I put my hands out a little bit, put on a tight t-shirt, and I could be a motivational speaker, <laughs> right? But I really believe that when things are right between you and God, when sin is confessed and taken care of, when there are short accounts, when you are sincere in your faith and you're not playing games, when you cut hypocrisy out of your life, when you're honest with God, you deal with your struggles, you make things right, you take the blood and you cleanse yourself and everything is right between you and God, I believe that you are never healthier mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and I believe those things affect us physically when we aren't right with God, when we're living with sin in our lives. Mentally, we're not strong. Spiritually, we're not strong. Emotionally, we're not strong. And physically, we're not strong. See, I told you I was gonna sound like a motivational speaker, right? But I really believe that. I'm not telling you this to try to get you together physically because bodily exercise profits little, the Bible says, but godliness is profitable in all things. When you are godly, and when things are right between you and God, there's something about your state of mind God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And there's something about emotionally. You might be messed up emotionally because the things that have happened to you in the past or the way people have treated you or what an ex-husband did or ex-wife did to you. You might be messed up emotionally, but you are never more sound emotionally than when things are right between you and God. Your well-being, you lack nothing when you find yourself mature in Christ and used by Him to make a difference in the world. It goes on to say then, if anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally. Now, remember, the context of verses 2 through 12 is trials. It's difficulties. It's not like we're reading Proverbs here, and all of a sudden we change topics. He's saying, in the midst of your trial, if you lack wisdom, then ask God, because God gives liberally. I love that God gives liberally. God doesn't just give a little bit here and a little bit there. Lord, I want a little wisdom. Okay, here's a little wisdom. Turn with me to Job, Job. Job uh, 28 I want to read you a passage on wisdom here I I went back and forth between Proverbs 3 and Job 28 to to go to and read Job is a big book in the Old Testament so you should be able to find it it's in front of Psalms if you can't find Psalms I don't know how to help you (laughs) Job 28 keep a finger or a ribbon there in, uh, in James Job is one of the poetic books I don't know if you know that or not about the book of Job it's like Psalms and Proverbs it's poetic and, and if you've never read Job or you've never sat down to read through it as a poetic book like you would Psalms or you would Proverbs, then do that, it's great. And I don't know, that's probably an understatement, it's great. It's really, really neat, you need to read it. It's really powerful. There are a lot of really, really neat things in here. Um, again, understatement. So chapter 28 is talking about wisdom and it starts off from verses one through 11 and talks about how what the, the extreme measures that men go through to find precious metals, gold, silver, copper, jewels. It just goes through this and it gives this long kind of list about, they'll go under the water, they'll block up dams, they'll block up rivers, they'll go in crevices, they'll forsake the light and go down into caves and in darkness. They'll do whatever they can do to find this precious metal. And that is true, isn't it? Today we have Gold Rush Jungle, Gold Rush Alaska. These guys, what they'll do to find gold and not always that bright when you you watch those shows, you think, I'm not quite sure that that was the right thing to do. So men will go to all of this, but it's like Proverbs, in Proverbs 3, it says men will search for silver and men will search for gold, but wisdom cannot be found that way. It's God who gives wisdom. And so in verse 12, he switches gears from the silver and the gold and he says, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value. Man does not know the value of wisdom. Wisdom is far better than silver, gold, money, anything that you have. Man doesn't know the value of wisdom. Wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time. Wisdom is knowing what to do in each situation. And there is a value to that that can be passed on to your children. There's a financial value in your life because of wisdom. There's a spiritual value in your life because of wisdom. There's emotional, physical, all the way around. Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. There's nowhere you can go in the land of the living to find wisdom. You can try to go to psychology if you want to. You can go to some counselor if you want to. You can go to professors if you want to. You can try to find wisdom, but it's not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not in me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of ophir or uh, precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral and quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz, it cannot be equal, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the end of the earth and sees under the whole heavens. God, verse 23 says, God understands its ways. There is no place that you can go to, to gain wisdom on this earth. There's no how-to book you can read. There's no self-help book that you can read. There's no way on earth you're going to find wisdom because it has been hidden from man. There's only one that you can go to, to find wisdom. Before we read the rest of this verse in James, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the only one who can give you wisdom? That there is wisdom with God and there is wisdom with no other. There's no place you can go. There's no place you can turn. There's on any program that you can purchase that's going to give you wisdom. It is only found in God. And it makes this then all the more powerful. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, for it will be given to him. I think that God loves nothing more than when you and I say, Lord, I want wisdom. I want to make the right choices in my life. I want to make the right choices when I'm tempted. Who's not tempted? I want to make the right choices when I'm tempted. I want to make the right choices when, when, I, when I have decisions to be made. And God says, ask me. I'll give it to you liberally. I found myself in the car on the way to church tonight thinking about this and stuck in traffic. And I bowed my head, because it wouldn't be wise to drive with your eyes closed, I was, but in, in traffic. And I prayed that God would give me wisdom. Believing that God will give it liberally. In fact, wouldn't it be good to pray that right now? Just right now? Let's pray. Father, we come before you as we hear these words. And you said, if any of us lack wisdom, ask and it will be given liberally. Well, Lord, we lack wisdom. If it can't be found anywhere we go here on earth, if it can't be found under the water or in the ground or anywhere, if no bird has ever seen it, it's just hidden away, then you give it, then, Lord, give it to us. Fill us with wisdom. Let us make the right moves. Let us stop being foolish. Let us stop turning to the things that can't satisfy and can't fulfill and find those things that really come from a life that is well-lived and a life that has wisdom. And so, Lord, we join together and believe that you are gonna give it. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. amen. Now, the very next verse I've always wished wasn't here. Because you pray, you read for we like, if you lack wisdom and ask God, he's gonna give it liberally. And I like the word liberally it means he's gonna give it. He doesn't hold back. God's not gonna parse out a little wisdom here and a little wisdom there. He says, if you ask, you're gonna get it. And then it says, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God doesn't reproach to give it, he gives it. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the winds. And let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So here's what happens to me. I read, ask, and God's going to give you liberally. So I say, well, Lord, give me faith. And then I read that if you doubt, you're not going to get it. And I go, is God really going to give it to me? Oh, there. Now I'm not going to receive it, right? Have you guys done that with this passage before? I'm like, Lord, why did you put that right after that? I wasn't even thinking about doubting until you said, if I doubt, I can't receive it. Now I doubt it, and I'm not going to receive it but he's not talking about doubting in the sense of i wonder if god's going to give it to me or i don't think that god's going to give it to me those are the fiery darts the enemy sends into our minds and the shield of faith can put those out he's talking about a life the person who lives in faith is a person who says god's going to give me god's going to give me wisdom and therefore i don't need to run here and i don't need to run there I don't need to run over to this person. I don't to run over there. I don't need to try to go get this handle. I'm no good at that handled. When you say, Lord, I believe you're gonna take care of me and I trust in you, then and I believe you've said that if I give, it will be given unto me and give and the, open, the windows of heaven will be opened up. And now you're running around trying to solidify your finances. It's like, okay, God, will you help me? And then you run around and try to do it. That's the double-minded man. That's the man that doubts. The person that doubts is the person who says, Lord, will you give me wisdom? And they call up, I need to make an appointment with this uh, worldly psychologist so that they can help me out. That's a double-minded man. You doubted God by your actions. You didn't trust that he was going to give you wisdom. You didn't trust now, God's given me wisdom, and I'm going to go out and start making good decisions for my life because there's only one place to get wisdom, and that's not a worldly psychologist. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Psalms 1 says, 1-1, one, one, by the way. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the counsel from the ungodly person. But we run around as if we can find it over here, we can find it over there, we can find it over here. And we're double-minded in all of our ways. We're tossed to and fro. That's what it goes on to say. It says, but let him ask in faith. Verse six, not doubting for he who doubts is like a wave driven and tossed by the wind." See, it's your lifestyle. It's when you ask God to do something, but you don't trust Him to do it. So you run over here to hedge your bets. And that toss to and fro doesn't have to just be about wisdom. It could be about anything, any area of life. You say, I believe this, and you begin to live by faith, but I'm gonna hedge my bet over here and do this. And all of a sudden, you're tossed to and fro. You're unstable. Let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. Will God give anything to the person who doesn't live by faith? Anything to the person who runs around saying, yeah, I'm going to ask God for this, but then I'm going to go out here in the world and do this? By your very actions, you're showing you don't really have faith. The person who has faith says, I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to believe that he's going to give wisdom. And there's a stability to that. And the wisdom comes. It goes on to say in verse eight, he is a double-minded man. He's unstable in all of his ways. It's not just in the ways of wisdom that he's unstable, but he's unstable in them all because he doesn't trust God in the midst of a a trial. It's like the person that says, God, give me wisdom for this trial I'm facing. But then you roll up your sleeves and you go and you try to fix it all over the place instead of simply saying, okay, Lord, what do I do? I've asked you for wisdom in the midst of my trials. Now, what do I do? And with a quiet, calm, trusting in him to give you endurance, to take you through, to make you mature, to make you perfect, to make you lacking in nothing, Instead, double-minded, unstable in all your ways. It says, let the lowly brother give glory in exaltation, but the rich in, in humiliation. Now, we're gonna cover that next week. We're actually gonna stop in verse eight. Um, we'll cover there to, to, to 12 next week. And we'll continue to talk about clues God gives us to overcoming wisdom. I'm excuse, just saying clues God gives us to overcoming trials. What are those clues we've received so far? Number one, our attitude. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Letting the peace of God and the joy of God be a part of us even when difficult times face us. Knowing that those trials are gonna shake us and gonna gonna really take it through. Number two, knowing that God is working through a trial. Number one, consider it joy. Number two, knowing that God is bringing you to maturity through trials, that he's bringing you endurance through those trials. And number three, if you lack wisdom, and again, who, who here doesn't lack wisdom? We all lack wisdom. Who here makes the right decisions all the time? I'm wondering. Anybody? Because I don't. I'm far from it, by the way. I don't. But if you lack wisdom, ask of God and God gives us. And if we'll have that joy, if we'll know God's working in the midst of our trials and we'll ask God to give us wisdom, then we're on our way to enduring through those trials. We're on our way for those who have been an example to us. I'll close with this story. I had opened with, with, with the story of my wife and the joy that she found even in the last days of her life. Even though she had so much to live for. Paul, Silas, preaching in in the streets of philippi they found themselves arrested beaten with rods which by the way is not fun they lay their backs bare and they take rods and they beat you with them they were beaten with rods and then they were shackled in a prison cell now i've heard different descriptions about how they were shackled Some of them talk about their feet being shackled and their hands being shackled so you are stretched out. Others talk about your legs being shackled as far apart as they can possibly be and your arms as far apart as you could possibly be. Whatever the ancient Philippians did in their jail cell to shackle you, it was not fun. And they had been beaten with rods. The Bible says, Paul and Silas at midnight. (laughs) Is there any darker time than midnight? when you've been arrested, thrown into Philippian jail and beaten with rods, that they began to worship. They began to sing. And the Bible says the other prisoners were listening to them. How, how do you find the joy to sing in the midst of a trial like that? It's supernaturally given, isn't it? But you know, the Bible says that the prison was shaken and the shackles fell off of their arms and the doors swung open. In the midst of that worship, in the midst of the trial, they found freedom, but not for them. It wasn't so they could run out of, out of the prison. When the warden came out, he looked in and he saw that the jail was opened and prisoners were gone. He pulled out a knife to kill himself. Because if you're a Roman guard and you allow someone to escape, you receive the punishment that they were supposed to receive. And the Romans were not nice people when it came to the way they treated prisoners. And Paul said, stop, we're all here. God had not opened the door so that they could leave. They were in prison, but God opened the door so this Philippian jailer could walk in. And when he found out that Paul was there, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul shared with him to believe and his entire family to believe baptized them and they gave their lives to Jesus in the midst of the trial they were used by God that's God's goal for us that's why we go through trials that we would have the right heart that we would be worshiping him that we would consider it all joy not some fake little giggly thing but real profound deep joy in the real of deep profound trials and people will get saved Christ will be lifted up And people will say, what must I do to be saved? Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again as we look at these trials. And it's been said that if you're not going through a trial now, you will be. We do believe that unless you come for us today and we opt for that, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come now. But Lord, we we want to serve you faithfully. We want to have things right with you. We want the wisdom that you give to be able to overcome the trials that we face and that we might do good, even as Lisa did good, even as Tim did good, even as Louis did good, even as Paul did good. We want to face our trials, see you glorified, that we could be complete, lacking in nothing and endure that the love that we have for you would be revealed as we make it through those trials. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org